Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Ansheim at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Pinchas, The Limits of Zealotry. Are you a person given to zealotry? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty mild guy, and I, I like to not call too much attention to myself. I feel like I'm passionate in my beliefs, but I don't think anyone would ever call me a zealot. When you walk down the street, people don't say, here comes that zealot. <laughs> Do you know any zealots? I know plenty of people who are really passionate, really committed to goals, people who are uncompromising in their beliefs. I don't know. What, where's that line? What what crosses the line into zealot? I think it's fanaticism, right? Like it's beyond just being firm in your beliefs. There's no question, but I think we're living in an age when people have become extremists. That's how you get in the news. You know, you right. say the most outrageous things. You say things that are going to create a stir. A politician, you know, throw something anti-Israel into a sentence. Throw the word Holocaust into a sentence. Say something controversial about people of color. And for sure, you're going to get in the news, right? Oh, yeah. There's no question. And that's intentional um, because, you know, you're trying to summon the media. You're trying to rally people to uh, to listen to what you're saying. So sometimes you have to uh, sometimes you have to blow things up a little bit. And that's understandable. And often that's put to use in a, in a good cause that we all end up agreeing with. You know, we tend to think of zealotry as being somebody who's on the fringe. But those people on the fringe are trying to move the, the center toward the fringe. And, and sometimes they succeed. You know, it's interesting. We had this conversation about this film last week about the, and the dialogue between Jews and African-Americans. And we talked a lot in that panel, I'm sure you'll recall, about the letter from the Birmingham jail that um, Dr. King wrote. And if you think about it, the clergymen, the local clergymen were kind of advising him to cool his jets, to, just to, to be patient, to slow things down. And in a sense... Dr. King, who was so well noted for being a person of nonviolence and practice nonviolence in the protest, and people would have to study nonviolence, was actually being accused at this point in time of zealotry. I mean, I think that's the bottom line of that letter, don't you think? His response was, don't you tell me to wait. We've been waiting 400 years for our freedom. Don't tell me to cool my jets when you've got your, your knee on my throat. We're not going to wait anymore, and we're not going to listen to people who are telling us that we should be patient and, and wait and give give white people a chance to to, uh, to come around gradually to our demands. What's really interesting to me about your, you know, your choice of Birmingham as an example here is that King's behavior was fairly fanatical, and, and he went to Birmingham because he wanted Bull Connor to overreact. He wanted a violent reaction from Bull Connor. He wanted something that would bring the national media to Birmingham and call more attention to this cause because his movement was kind of struggling at the time. Well, I think you make the same argument about Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks didn't just happen one day on a bus, but it was planned and it was choreographed. And for that same reason, it was to draw the press and to make it into a national issue. We don't need to get into the weeds on it. I would argue with you that... Um, Rosa Parks was prepared, um, but it was not planned and choreographed. She really was coming home um, from work that day and just decided enough was enough, and she was ready to take her, make her stand. Uh, and, and there's a fine line, and that's the thing that makes it so interesting. These zealots are not doing this just for publicity. They're doing it because they are passionate, and they are you know, willing to sacrifice for their beliefs. Just because it has a um, strategic purpose 
doesn't mean that it's not valid or that we shouldn't respect it. And, you know, some of the more radical people in the, in the civil rights movement complained that nonviolence was really just a strategy for King, that it really wasn't his deepest philosophy. But I say, so what? Exactly. But it was working and it may, it created a situation where the white community couldn't simply ignore it. And he was right, sadly, that when, you know, America began to see the uh, work of Bull Connor and with the dogs and everything else and the, and the violence, people were starting, they woke up. And so in a way, he was very successful with that. You know, in this week's portion, you have a discussion of the best known Jewish zealot. His name was Pinchas. And at the end of last week's portion, in a moment of moral depravity, Pinchas acts and in his action, which was violent, he actually kills two people. The result was that Moses had was befuddled by the situation. He was unable to come up with a response. And Pinchas, through his act, which was zealous, he runs two people through with a spear in public, in the you know, probably the most public place in the middle of the sanctuary of then and right on the altar stems what was a very dangerous situation where God was going to act in a way where perhaps thousands of people would have been killed. And so our portion opens this week in the wake of that. And rather than castigate Pinchas for taking the law into his own hands, there was no, it wasn't like God says, you know, do this. He simply chose to do this as an act of passion and anger and a response to moral depravity. And so he is rewarded. And what's so interesting is that God rewards him with what's called a brit shalom, a covenant of peace, which I think is strange, don't you? Yeah, uh, it's a covenant of peace for somebody who just committed a horribly violent act. But I guess the question is, how is that violent act perceived? I guess at the time it was perceived as being uh, a blow for justice. And, but these are very fine lines as we're talking about. Do you violate the law to oppose a, a law that you believe is unjust, even if the Constitution and society believes the law is, is just? Again, we get back to that fine line between being a zealot and being a vigilante. You know, if you think about it, the history of this country is about decisions like that. The Boston Tea Party, right? It was about reacting in illegal ways against what was perceived as a repressive government. And so those ideas, I think, are very real. And there are times that call for zealotry. There's no question about it. And if you look at the history of the Civil War, look at the history of the Revolutionary War, you see what was Sherman's march, right? I mean, it was zealotry, destruction. It was a kind of a scorched earth policy. John, John Brown at Harper's Ferry. Exactly right. And, you know, it was horrific, but it was effective. Coming back to the biblical portion for a minute, what we normally do in society is we give them medals. We honor them. They write songs about them. From one perspective... You could say that that's a way of encouraging more people to do that, to get out there and do more of it. And so what God does is something very different. God says, I'm going to give you a covenant of peace, which basically means 
I'm taking you out of service, right? You're, not, you're no longer doing this. I'm moving you up into a very different place. A person of, who has a covenant of peace doesn't go out and commit zealous acts anymore. And so I think that's such an interesting issue, is that the efficacious nature of Pinchas's act was acknowledged, but it was what was also being acknowledged is, is this is not a way of life for a holy society to encourage. Yeah, and, and this is not the guy you want leading your army either. We're going to put him out to pasture and, and say that it was okay this time. Well, that's, that, that's such an interesting thing that, that you said because Moses is old. Moses' leadership is failing at this moment. You've had the spies and the people are angry at Moses. You've had the attack uh, on Moses by his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron. You had the attack on Moses' leadership by Korah. And you even had an attack on Moses' leadership by King Balak in last week's portion of trying to do away with the Israelites. And now you have Pinchas shows, kind of reflects the fact that Moses is befuddled at this point in his life. So what you might have expected to happen in this moment was there would be kind of this popular moment where God would say, Moses, thanks for your service, but now we're going to give things over to Pinchas. It's almost like a military coup in a way. It doesn't happen. Pinchas is put to pasture. Ultimately, Moses will die, and the reins of leadership will be given to Joshua. No society that, that has any future can be led by zealots. And that's an interesting point that, that, that you helped us make. Yeah, I mean, zealots are good in limited purposes, I suppose. But what's interesting is that we do see some zealots who mature into positions of leadership, or, as I said earlier, you know, the, the line between being on the fringe moves and suddenly you find yourself at the center. I mean, I mean, King was certainly seen as a zealot in white America, but by 66, 67, people are talking about, you know, running him for president and the line has moved. So much of it depends on the evolution of the issues at hand and the evolution of that leader. And it's not out of the question. Even, you know, Malcolm X, who was more radical than King, was moving toward the center by the end of his life. I think there, there's a lot to what you're saying. And we see the Black Lives Matter movement today. And even though there has been some violence, there have been some violent demonstrations, that's not the mainstream of the movement. You're looking at people in the legislatures, people across the board, who are not advocating for violent overthrow. There's a much different balance going on. So in a way, there's a time for zealotry, but that societies can't move forward unless you have balanced leadership. Yeah, I think that's right. And the zealots are often the ones who are out in front of the curve. And then we catch up to them and realize that they weren't so radical afterwards. Sometimes, not all the time. Let me just kind of run with track shoes where angels fear to tread. But I think that social media has kind of changed the argument in a way. And what I mean by, by that is that people get a lot of positive response from saying outrageous things, which ultimately is encouraging people to act zealously, to take the matter into their own hands. And when we conjure fear, then people are going to act. We've seen this in this country where some of these really wacky QAnon theories people are acting on. A man killed people because he thought that there were pedophiles in the basement, right? In these weeks when Israel maybe is in the process of changing governments, you have Shabak in Israel. They're saying the rhetoric is going to lead to another Rabin. 
right? So words matter. It's not just the zealous act that we have to be concerned about. It's language that will lead to zealotry that we also have to be aware of. I don't even know where to go with that because it seems like it's so ubiquitous now that um, it's almost you know beyond control that everybody has a mouthpiece now and can stir up trouble so easily in, in ways that would have been a lot harder earlier. Unless people demand for a greater balance and to silence zealots, well, not to silence them, but to not make them the lead story because they said something outrageous because they want to be in the news. They want to be in the public eye. And that's how you gain power in political parties today. That's a terrifying thing. So I think there's a lot to learn from our friend Pintas, but there's even more to learn from God's wisdom to give him a breach shalom and not focus or embrace uh, zealotry and even over glorify it. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Rabbi.